Uh, we're going to look at two passages. Our, our main passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Our theme for 2024 is God is faithful. God is faithful. And that's why you'll see a lot of the, the symbolism of the moon this year. There's a moon here. There's a moon there. And the reason is the moon is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Because it's God who causes the moon to come up and go down. Like clockwork, we actually, we actually have our months, right, based on the cycles of the moon. We count our years by the number of times the sun comes up and goes around the, uh, or the earth goes around the sun and completes one circuit of the sun. The moon and the sun are both examples of God's faithfulness. But frankly, we don't look at the sun much because it's not good for our eyes. We do look at the moon a lot. And even when I was in Mongolia, I would look at the moon and be reminded that God was as faithful in Mongolia as he was in the United States. So throughout the years, you see that moon. Just remember, it's, it's just that God is faithful. And as you're out about um, these early evenings in the, in the winter and you see that moon, remember that God is faithful. And remember, when you can't see the moon, it's still there. Even when the moon is, uh, we, we, we say it's a new moon, so there is no visible moon because it's turned away from us, the moon is still there. And sometimes you'll even look up in the daytime, and if you look very carefully, you'll see that faint reflection, the moon reflecting the sun's light to us, and it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. But not only is God faithful in the seasons, in the moon coming up and going down, the sun coming up and going down, God is faithful in our lives as well. And so that's going to be the topic of my sermon this morning. Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. That is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Let's pray, and then we'll consider what it is that he calls us to, and then how he's doing it in our lives. Father, I'm thankful for the folks that you've brought this morning. I'm thankful for the good singing the excitement to worship you that I sense in the voices that are lifted in praise, in the prayers, uh, the prayer that was offered by Matt, and the faithful giving uh, during the offering. Uh, Father, we bring to you broken hearts. Uh, we, we don't come to you uh, because we're good people and you need us. We come to you because we are broken people and we need you. Because we have disappointments and failures this past week. We've got problems coming at us. Sometimes it feels like a freight train coming at us and we're not sure how to solve these problems. And we're so grateful that you say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we come to you this morning as needy people, needing wisdom. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness again, your mercy. Uh, we need your wisdom, your, your knowledge. You know all things. Father, direct us in the areas where we don't know what what, what, it, what we don't know, even what we don't know, direct us in those areas. And Father, in those times of hurt, several have lost loved ones here recently. I pray that your comfort and your peace would be a balm to our heart and would remind us of your faithfulness even in our loss. Use these words from your word. Use your thoughts to change us this morning, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you have got your hair cut in the last couple of weeks? Okay, because I'm going to use that as an illustration, sort of an ongoing illustration. Some of you, I, I see you smiling. You never get your hair cut. 
you have no hair, okay? I'm sorry. You, you'll probably get the illustration anyway, um, uh, but uh, haircuts. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of haircuts. It's not that I'm afraid of them. It just feels, it's so hard to just sit there while somebody cuts your hair. And uh, I'd rather be up and moving about, but you, you just got to sit there. But we're going to talk about haircuts today. But first of all, here in our verse, faithful is he that calleth you. God is the one who calls us. And he calls us to a couple of things. The first thing he calls us to is he calls us to salvation. Today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. God calls us to salvation. That is, he calls us to be his children. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 5. Take your Bible. Go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to look at a passage. You know Romans 8.28. We know all things work together for good. But I want you to see for yourself what that good is that God is working all things together for. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know, this is verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the, what's that next word? Called. Faithful is he who calleth you. Well, what has he called us to in this passage? Well, it says, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be, notice this phrase, to be conformed to the image of his son. Several times today I'm going to say this statement, God is more interested in our character than in our comfort. He is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. He's making us, he's making our character more Christ-like. And the more we cooperate, the more we can accomplish. But whether we cooperate or not, God is faithful who also will do it. So he calls us, he calls us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, that is Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. But notice this next uh, uh, verse, 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. That's that word again. And whom he called, them he also justified. Another word we use for justified is salvation. When God saves us from our sinfulness. Justification is when God declares us to be righteous because he's taken our sin debt and he's put it on Jesus Christ on the cross. God calls us to salvation. And then after he calls us to salvation, God calls us to a second thing and God calls us to sanctification. Go back to first, hold your place in Romans 8. We're going to actually be back there. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again, verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it but this passage isn't talking about our salvation. It's not talking about our justification. It's talking about our sanctification. Let's back up one verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God not only calls us to salvation, he also calls us to sanctification. God not only calls us to be his child, God calls us to act like his child. Growing up, my dad would often say to me, hey, we are deans and we don't do that. 
Now, when would my dad say this? Just after we had done that thing. <laughs> he rarely said it when we weren't doing that thing. You know, here we are tearing through the church. By the way, I encourage you not to allow your children to run through the sanctuary. And we'd be tearing through the sanctuary. My dad would stop us and he'd say, son, or sons, because I have some brothers. Sons, we don't run through the church. Deans don't run through the church. Now, I, I never said to my dad, dad, we're running through the church. And we're deans. What are you talking about? Because my dad didn't let me respond that way wisely. I have respect for my parents. He was not saying that you are no longer a dean because you run through the church. He was saying, hey, you need to act like you're a dean. Not only does God call us to salvation, God calls us to act like we are his children. And he's working our sanctification. Faithful is he who calleth you to sanctification, who also will do it. But there's a third thing God's called us to, and I'm not going to focus on it today, but I do want to get to it. And that is God calls each one of us to a place of service. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Ephesians 4.1, God says, I therefore, this is Paul, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, we use the word vocation to almost exclusively talk about somebody's career today. But that word vocation is, is just a term that means, hey, this is what you're called to do. Now, for some of you, that is a career. I get that. God's placed you in a career. By the way, sometimes people will say to me, well, uh, pastor, you know, God didn't call me to be a pastor. He didn't call me to be a missionary. So I chose to. No, 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 no. God calls every Christian to the career of God's choice. God calls some of you to be engineers. God calls some of you to be sanitation workers. That's a funny, fancy name for, for uh, garbage men. God calls some of you to be janitors. And God calls some of you to be... He calls us all to a career. And for some of you, that career is your children. That's an important call. Now, unfortunately, it's, it's sad that our society thinks of women only as economic units and they're only valuable in so much as they work outside the home and earn a salary. But far more important, ladies, than any salary you might earn, if God gives you children, your primary ministry is to your children. By the way, fathers, your primary ministry is to your children too, by the way. Amen. Fathers, it says in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, the greatest thing we might do for God's work here on this earth is not something but raising someone. Amen. And I don't want you to miss that when, when I talk about being called to a place of service, if God grants you children, then your children are part of that call. Sometimes God calls us, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, God calls all Christians too, when I say a place of service, God calls all Christians to be a part of a church somewhere and to serve in that church. You say, well, I, you know, I, I'm just going to be at home and I, I enjoy joining you occasionally, but my church is at home. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12.8 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. That word body is uh, another name for the church. The body of Christ is the church. And God places every member in the church as it pleases him. So I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you're a Christian, God has a church, a place for you to serve. And then finally, sometimes God does call Christians to 
uh, unique ministry. I tell you what, if God has called you to live here in California, that's a unique ministry in itself. I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, I was talking with a, a, Tim Schmidt. He's going to be with us in April. I was talking to him this week. We, several of us, several pastors and Tim Schmidt met for prayer. And he said he's, he's a traveling evangelist. He says he goes all over the United States. And most Christians elsewhere are just sort of hoping California slides off into the ocean. I don't know what they're talking about. I live here. I don't want to slide off into the ocean. God's called us here. Now, again, if God calls you to another place, I want you to go where God wants you. But don't be looking to get away from California because this is where God's called us to minister. A couple of you are involved in um, education and you work for the local public school district. You are in a war. And I hope if you, you know these folks, they're on our, one of them's on our prayer list. I hope you'll pray for these folks. They are in a war. And God's called them to that place to serve him. God's called you to your place of work to be his ambassador. In addition to that, sometimes God's going to call some of our folks, some of our members to be involved in cross-cultural ministry. A lot of times we call this missions, but the idea is you're going to have to leave your home. You're going to have to leave your family. And you're going to have to leave your culture. You're going to have to leave your country. You're going to have to leave your comfort behind in order to minister to people who, frankly, may not be interested in hearing what you have to say. And let me tell you what encouraged me during my ministry in Mongolia, my cross-cultural ministry in Mongolia, was this verse, Faithful is he that calleth you, in my case, to Mongolia, who also will do it. Don't be afraid to respond to whatever God's, God's calling you to do, because faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. God does the calling. God does the completing of his call. Think about salvation. Who completes, who began, and who finishes our salvation? God does. I don't begin my salvation, and I don't end my salvation, do I? God began my salvation when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God began my salvation. And guess who's going to complete my salvation? Not me. If you think that I'm going to do something between here and there that's going to make God say, oh, wow, I'm so glad I saved that guy. You don't understand me. You don't understand the Bible. God not only begins my salvation, but he completes my salvation. Just this week, I was talking with a man and just the way the conversation flowed, I'd asked him to tell me how he'd become a Christian and didn't give me a very good answer, so I, I followed up with the question, suppose you were to die and stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? He said, well, I'd say, God, you know my heart. You know I've done some bad things and I've done some good things, and you're just going to have to decide. Well, if that's the best you can do, God's going to decide that you don't get into heaven. Because the Bible tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Here's the answer I told him. Jesus Christ. Right? Why did Jesus die on the cross? To take my sin debt. To pay for the sins that I... I can't pay for any of my sins. And knowing that, Jesus Christ died in my place. Why did he rise from the dead? To show us that he has victory over sin and over death. And just as God began my salvation, 
God who called me to that salvation will also finish it. Not only that, your sanctification. God begins your sanctification process, and guess what? God's going to finish your sanctification process. I am guessing that there are going to be some Christians that God has to drag kicking and screaming into heaven because we don't realize all the good things God has for us in heaven. And we think that they're down here on this earth, and they're not. This is just a temporary, we're just pilgrims and we're strangers on this world. Our final destination, our true home, is heaven. And God's going to begin and end our sanctification. So let me talk a little bit about this process of sanctification, what it means when it says in verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, it's the very God of peace who sanctifies us. It's God at work in my life. When we talk about God's faithfulness, we mean God is at work. Just like the moon sometimes comes up and we don't see it. It comes up during the day and the sun's out and we just just don't even notice the moon. Or it comes up and it's a new moon. And so it's turned away from us and we just, there's just the backside and we don't understand... um, Excuse me, we don't see the moon in the same way. Sometimes we don't understand the work that God's doing in our lives. But he is at work because faithful is he who calls us who also will do it. There are three things that I want to bring to your attention that God does in order to accomplish our sanctification. The first one is that when it comes to our sanctification, God chooses our composition intentionally with a plan in mind. What do I mean by a composition? Well, God chose where you were born, right? Now, not all of you were born in the United States, but I, for one, am very glad I was born in the United States. You don't have to travel very far around the world before you realize what prosperity and what freedoms we enjoy here in the United States. But even more importantly than that, how the Word of God is preached freely here in this country in ways it's not even able to preach it in other countries. I've never worried about the police or National Guard showing up and arresting me for preaching from this pulpit. But in some countries, you can be arrested for standing in a pulpit and preaching. When you're out passing tracks, do you ever worry that someone's going to call the police and the police are going to pull up and say, hey, what are you doing? I was going to grab a track. What are you doing passing out tracks? You can't give out literature. That's never happened here in the United States that I know of. But we had some friends who went to Mongolia and they were passing out literature on the, on the streets and they got arrested. They got deported. They were American citizens. They, they were sent home. And don't you come back, they were told. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to live, to be born here in the United States and to live here in the United States and to have the, the, the freedom to hear the gospel preached. Who made that decision? I didn't make that decision. I didn't choose where I was going to be born. God chose this composition, this decision that God made for me. He made with a plan in mind when he caused me to be born here in the United States. God chose my parents. Those of you that are young enough, you're still living with your parents. Sometimes I know you wish you had different parents. I just, I did too when I was that age. I wished I had different parents. Why God, why did you give me these parents? Because God knew the exact parents that I needed to sanctify me wholly. Let's take the flip side of that. God knows the exact children you need to sanctify you wholly. 
Some of you still have children at home, and you're wondering, God, why did you give me these children? <laughs> he does it to sanctify us. God makes those choices for us. God chooses our parents. God chooses our, our, our children. God chooses our physical appearance, whether you're tall or short, whether people enjoy looking at you or they don't enjoy looking at you. God makes those decisions for us. God chooses our intelligence. Some say that God uh, portions out intelligence with a spoon. And every once in a while, an angel comes by and bumps his elbow, and somebody doesn't get their full portion. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's true, but it makes, makes some things more understandable to me. But God chooses that for us. I didn't choose your intelligence. I didn't choose my intelligence. God chooses that. And there have been times I, I've thought, God, couldn't you make me smarter? And God says, I could have made you smarter. You don't need smarter. You have the intelligence you need to accomplish my purpose. God chooses the skills that we have. God chooses the interests we have. And here's my, what I want to focus on. Every single choice God makes, he makes with a plan. He doesn't guess. He's not throwing darts at a dartboard. He's not just randomizing it. He says, I've got a plan for Scott, and I've got a plan for this person. I've got a plan for that lady. I've got a plan for that man. And this is exactly what they need. And if Christians could just get that understanding, we'd be so far ahead. Instead of fighting against what God's doing, why do I have this problem? And why did you give me this intelligence? And why these children or this parents? Why was I born here? Why was I born at this time? I don't even like cell phones. Why couldn't I have been born at a time before cell phones? And you were driving around town and you had no idea who was trying to call you. And then you get back to the office or you get back home and you'd have a stack of messages. How many of you remember those days? I love those days. God chose, and God chose with a plan. God chose our composition, how we are put together with a purpose. And here's the second thing God chose for us. God chose our circumstances with intention. He chose our circumstances intentionally. He's not just guessing again. He's not just, ah, oh, let me see if this works. God, in his wisdom and in his perfect knowledge and in his uh, almighty ability, has crafted our circumstances for our sanctification. The very God of peace, it says, sanctify you wholly. Again, God is more interested in our, excuse me, in our character than in our comfort. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. And the reason that we struggle with God's choices is because I'm more interested in my comfort than my character. Remember, I talked about getting a haircut. A little boy, six, seven years old, I remember sitting in the, in the barber's chair, and I didn't want to be sitting there. I'm six or seven. What six or seven-year-old boy wants to sit? By the way, if you have a six or seven-year-old boy that really hates school, that is not a problem. That's very common. I'm not concerned about six or seven-year-old boys who hate school. I'm more concerned about six or seven-year-old boys who hate work. <laughs> There'll be a day when they get out of school. And there'll be a day when they get out of work, but that'll be much further away. <laughs> but setting that aside, six or seven-year-old boy, I'm sitting there. I, I, you know, I don't want to be sitting there. And you know what I've noticed about my hair? Now, it's a little bit trained now, so it sort of does what I want. But when I was a boy, my parents will tell you, my hair just went everywhere. And the hair in the front, as it grew longer, would fall down over my eyes. And I'd comb it back, and it'd fall over my eyes. And I'd comb it back, and it'd fall over my eyes. And all I wanted the barber to do was to take his scissors and cut that hair. And then I wanted to get out of the chair. 
And the barber would be working back here. I couldn't even see what he was doing. He'd be working back here. It seemed like hours. Snip, 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 snip. You know, zzz, and I'm like, just cut the front and let's go. So you see, all I cared about was what I could see. But the barber, was cared about, the barber cared about all of it. And sometimes as Christians, we only care about the part we can see. We say, hey, God, I, the sanctification process, can't we just speed it up? You know what I really need is I need patience. You give me patience and I'll be good. God says, no, 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 no. You need a lot more than that. And he's back here working on the back. Now, as I got older, I noticed that my hair would cover my ears. And it just felt like shaggy dog, you know. So then I wanted to just cut the front, zip up the side here, and then I'm good, right? I would have, been, I would have had a mullet my whole life <laughs> if it would have been up to me. You know what? God doesn't leave it up to you. God makes choices for you about your circumstances that you would not make for yourself. And we often struggle, let's be, let's be frank, we often struggle with this sanctification process because we're interested in our comfort, not our character. We just want God to make it comfortable for us. We've got a problem, we just want God to solve it. God says, we're going to solve it by going through it. We say, no, 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 just take it out of the way. God says, no, no, this is how I'm going to teach you, and you can list whatever it is. And we say, no, I don't need that. My wife needs that, right? My, my children need that. My parents, my, my church members need that. I don't need that. My coworker needs that. I don't need that. My neighbor, my neighbor. God, can you pay attention to my neighbor? Now, here's the neat thing. God is paying attention to all of us. All of us equally. Sometimes it feels, I know it does, it feels like God is just focused on you and he's ignoring everyone else. But no, God, like a good barber, is back there cutting the backside of everyone else's hair. You just can't see it. And we can trust him to make the choices in our circumstances that we don't make for ourselves. Uh, hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians, please, and go back to Romans 8. I mentioned holding your place there. I want, to sh I want you to see this again. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Again, we know this. We know that all things work together for good. But back up another verse where it says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. This is Romans 8, 27. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That one that's making intercession for the saints is the Holy Spirit. But he's not making intercession according to your will, according to what you want, according to what makes you comfortable. He's making intercession according to the will of God. And then we get to verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And we like to stop there. We know that all things work together for good. In other words, Somewhere along the line, I'm going to get to that comfortable spot. No, that's not what that verse says. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to get to that place where I feel like, okay, I've, I've arrived. The haircut is done. No, that's not what the verse says. Someday I'm going to get to that place where everyone likes me. No, that's not what that verse says. Where all my bills are going to be paid. That's not what that verse says. All the good that God is working in our life is told us in verse 29, for whom he did for no, him he also predestinated, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the good that God's trying to accomplish in your life and in my life? What is this process of sanctification that he is faithful to call us to and that he's faithful to do? 
It's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. It's building Christ-like character into your heart, into your life, so that you respond to your circumstances the same way that God would respond to our circumstances, that God would respond to our circumstances, the same way that Jesus would respond to our circumstances. That's what God is doing in our lives. He's choosing our circumstances and working things out to the good, that is, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So he chooses our composition, he chooses our circumstances. God also chooses our companions. And I was looking for a C word, but he chooses the people in our lives. I've given this illustration before, but hear it again. Uh, as, a, as a young man, I would help my dad. He was a carpenter and, and, and often built uh, cabinets for people, uh, not only at work, but outside of work. He would he'd build cabinets for people, and, and he didn't want me to run my fingers through the saw and be missing fingers, and he didn't want me to put a screw through my hand, so he wouldn't let me use the power tools except for a sander, because you can't really do a lot of damage to yourself with a sander. And the purpose of a sander, you, you, when you first feel the wood, you can feel it's sort of it's not, it's not smooth. It's got bumps and, and some ridges, and it's got some, some little, uh, uh, um, uh, I was going to say staples, but they're not staples. Slivers, thank you, slivers. They've got little wood slivers in it. And what a sander does, it just takes all of that off. It just, uh, the oscillating sanders we would use, just go back and forth, uh, back and forth. It has sandpaper on this side. You push, put that sandpaper up against the wood, and after you run that sandpaper correctly over that wood, it feels as smooth as silk. It feels like as soft as a, as a baby's cheek. It's just, it's amazing what work that sandpaper does. By literally grinding the wood off of the top. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to run a piece of sandpaper against your hand, an oscillating sand. Don't do it. It hurts. And God uses people in our lives. God uses irritating people in our lives, much like we use sandpaper on wood. To get rid of all the bumps and the little slivers. You know, we like to think we're pretty good people. I like to think I'm pretty patient with people. And so God says, okay, let's see if you can be patient with this person. <laughs> right? I, I think I'm pretty smart. And then God says, well, let me see how far your wisdom goes with this person. Right? And who makes those choices for me? God does. He places irritating people sometimes in our neighborhood. Maybe you've got a neighbor. And I mean, he is not a good neighbor. And he's making your life terrible. You know what you need to do? You need to pray for him. You need to pray for him or her. Yeah, I mean, we were living in Mongolia and my um, daughters would go, out, go outside to play. And we had just gotten a bike for our daughter. She was seven, eight, nine years old. I don't remember exactly how old, but seven, eight, nine years old. And she's riding her bike and, and the boys were trying to push sticks through the spokes of the wheel, which of course would have made her crash and hurt herself. And they were, the only word they knew was pig. The only English word they knew was pig. So they're calling her pig, which is not a nice thing to call people. It's, there's a lot worse. But, you know, my daughter's taking this personally. She comes in crying. They won't let me run my bike. They're calling me pig. A stupid pig. That was it. Stupid pig. And I, I knew enough Mongolian to go out and ask the boys later, do you know what stupid pig means? I had no idea what it meant. But they, they were just using words that they knew. And my wife suggested, why don't you bake them chocolate chip cookies? So my daughter, who enjoys baking, even at that age, enjoyed baking. My wife, they made a nice batch of chocolate chip cookies, and they took them out, and they gave those chocolate chip cookies to those nasty neighbors. And then they always said, bolv, bolv, which is the Mongolian word for cookie, right? They tell my daughter, bolv, bolv. Forgot all about the stupid pig. 
Forgot all about making your bike crash. They wanted more cookies. <laughs> you can win your neighbors with kindness and prayer. Kindness and prayer. You know, we really like to just sock our neighbor, right? You know, I wish there wasn't a law against assault. I'd show that. No, 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 no. It's wrong. God put that irritating neighbor there like sandpaper to, 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 to sand off those rough edges and leave your character just as smooth as the character of Jesus Christ. And you can see that irritating neighbor as a person to be dealt with or as a person to be loved and prayed for. God puts irritating people at work. I'm blessed. I, I don't have irritating people at my work. But I know some of you have irritating people at your work. Why did God put that person there? To remind you, you need God's wisdom. You need God's grace to respond with kindness and have a soft answer that turns away their wrath. That, that's not an accident that that person's at your work. Sometimes... God, in his infinite wisdom, puts that irritating person right in your home. Sometimes it's your choice. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's not your choice. But God puts that irritating person right in your home, so you have to deal with them. I remember being at college, and I had an irritating roommate. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. I won't even tell you stories. I mean, it's bad. And I just kept telling myself, if I can just get through this year, I never have to live with this guy again in my life. But then you get married. If I just get through, no, this worked that way. Now, with your kids, you can say, if I just get through 18 years. You know what? When your kids grow up, you still love them. You don't get rid of them. So you might as well find a way to enjoy the irritating people God's put in your family. Because they're going to be with you the rest of your life. I was traveling with uh, my family on, on deputation. My kids were little. In fact, Caleb and Elsie weren't even born at this time, just Carissa and Emily, my wife, the four of us, we were traveling. And uh, deputation is really hard on families. And if, if you want to go into it, we can talk about it some other time. But we were really struggling. And I met a very wise pastor in San Francisco. His church building was on Mission Street. And he said to me, he gave me very wise advice. He says, you have to live with the, your family the rest of your life. You don't have to live with these pastors. You need to start telling these pastors, no, I'm not going to do that. And prioritize what your family needs over what your pa these pastors think you need. Great advice. Great advice. That's why I try to have a very light touch with you all that have families. I can give you advice about your kids, about your spouse, and I'd be glad to help, be glad to pray with you. But in the end, you have to live with your family. You don't have to live with me. And God puts those irritating people in our families. And the primary purpose is so that we learn to access God's grace and respond to them with God's grace. What does God say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? My grace is sufficient for thee. There's no exceptions in there. There's no except if it's your spouse. Except if it's your child. Except if it's your parents. There's no exceptions. My grace is sufficient for thee. God puts irritations in our lives. He chooses our companions and he says, this is the person you're going to deal with because he wants us to learn to deal with people with the same grace, the same forbearance, the same forgiveness that he deals with us. Now, I'm just going to say it. Think about it. Before a holy God, we must all be terrible irritants. 
We must irritate God to no end sometimes. I know God's probably thinking about me. I don't know why Scott keeps doing that. I don't know how many times he has to do that same stupid mistake before he's going to finally realize my grace is sufficient. And yet God is forbearing towards me. God forgives me. Why? Because the very God of peace is working to sanctify me wholly. So what does it mean that God is faithful? I'm going to skip over part of the session. Here's what it means. Number one, when we say God is faithful, it means that God is always at work. Just like the moon rises, sets. Sometimes you don't see it. It rises late at night after you've gone to bed or rises early in the day and the the sun's out so you don't even notice the moon. It's still there because God is faithful and you don't always see God at work in your life, but God is at work. We often miss this work that God is doing because we're too busy to think about it. But it's God's grace and it's God's work and it's God's faithfulness that has made us into the people that we are. The good people we are. You say, well, if you're a bad person, don't blame that on God. But the good people we are, the good qualities we have is God's grace and God's faithfulness and God's work in my life. Sometimes around Christmas, I notice this. You'll see someone that you haven't seen for a while. And you say, boy, you have grown. And sometimes it's this way and sometimes it's this way. Boy, you have grown. The person who did the growing, did they notice? No. It's just so gradual. The child doesn't realize that he, she's growing taller. The person doesn't realize she's growing bigger. And you say, oh, you've grown. Uh, Don't say that to people that have grown this way, okay? But you've grown. And then they realize, oh, yeah, I have. You know what? You have grown this past year. Those of you that have been here at Elmira Baptist Church, and I'm not saying the people outside don't. I'm just saying, I've, I've seen you. You have grown, but you don't notice it because it's so daily and it's so gradual. That's God at work. God's always at work. And what we are called to do in prayer is to cooperate with what God's doing in our lives. To say, God, I want more of that. I see where you're headed, where you're headed with me. I see how you're sanctifying me. And here's what I need to get there. I need patience, yeah, I need wisdom, I need maturity, I need the words to say, or I need the help not to say anything when that's the appropriate answer. God's at work, God's faithful. God's faithfulness means that He is at work. God's faithfulness means that He will not fail you. God will not fail you. God will not fail you. Now, I will fail you, and I have. And your spouse will fail you. Your, your family will fail you. I tell you what, the economy will fail you. And the government will fail you. Go down to DMV. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, there's going to be some problem there. You can have all the paperwork, and you're missing a signature, right? Or you're missing the piece of paper. Or, oh, do you want the real ID? I thought all re- IDs were real. Well, no, we actually have a couple of IDs now. And then you find out you don't have the ID. You need to get on the Air Force Base. Government will fail you, but God never fails you. Now, I've met some people. I've met some people who've said to me, God failed me. Maybe they didn't use those exact words, but God failed me. God gave me this person in my life, and it turned out to be a disaster. God put this illness in my life, and it's just wrecked me. God did this. God didn't give me enough smarts. I mean, they have a lot of excuses, but listen, God never fails you. Sometimes, I think, we think, that God fails us because our expectations are wrong. Remember, God is more interested in your character 
than in your, what's the word? Comfort. You say, God, this isn't very comfortable. God says, yeah, what's your point? God isn't interested in my comfort. He's interested in my character. And so often he puts me in very difficult places. One lady I have just immense admiration for learned this. Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you have pronounced her name Joni. I understand she likes to go by Johnny. Johnny was born in 1949. Her father was an Olympic wrestler. So her whole family was very active growing up. She enjoyed horseback riding. She enjoyed tennis. She enjoyed hiking. She enjoyed swimming. And one day, when she was 17 years old and she was swimming, she drove into what she thought was deep water, and it wasn't deep enough, and she broke her neck. She broke her neck in such a way that she was a, a paraplegic, that is, a quadriplegic. She was uh, paralyzed from the neck down. She cannot move, effectively move her arms or her legs. She was... 17 years old. The year was 1967. I wasn't even alive in 1967. And from 1967 until today, Johnny Erickson Tata has lived as a quadriplegic. Now she'll tell you, she's written books about it. She was so depressed when she first had her ability to move taken away. I mean, here's a girl who enjoyed hiking and, and swimming and, and, and uh, tennis and horseback riding and suddenly being told, you will never move your arms and legs again. She was so depressed, she was suicidal. But how does a quadriplegic kill themselves? Now, seriously, she, this is the way she tells the story. How would you kill yourself if you can't even move your arms and legs? And God slowly worked on her heart. To show her, to show Johnny that, she had, that he had a plan for her life and a reason for her paralysis. Remember, God is more interested in our character than in our comfort. And once she wrapped her mind around that, she began to see that God had a ministry for her. And I was going to read to you the list of books that she's written. I figured, how many can a paralyzed person write? Maybe 10, 12? I went to the bibliography. There must have been 40 or 50 books there. I've only read one or two. Her ministry to Christians has strengthened us. Her ministry to churches has blessed us. She has a, a, a vision and, and a, an understanding of disability that has been an incredible blessing to Christians who don't have disability. God did not fail Johnny Erickson when she was paralyzed. God used that accident for his glory and to build Christ-like character in Johnny's life. Because God is more interested in our character than our comfort. And when it says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, we can expect God's going to bring difficulty and problems into our life so that he gets the glory and we develop Christ-like character. God's faithfulness means that he's constantly at work. God's faithfulness means he will not fail. God's faithfulness means that he will fulfill his plan. Philippians 1.6, parents, I pray this for my children. I encourage you to pray this for yours. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's going to keep working. Now, the only question that I want to leave you with today is, are you going to cooperate or not? Because God's going to work whether you cooperate or not. When I was a little boy sitting in that barber's chair, I did not want to cooperate. I learned very quickly the quickest way to get a haircut was to sit still. At least a haircut you liked. <laughs> sit still. 
Some of you need to learn to sit still in God's sanctification process and let him cut the back, let him trim the sides before he gets to the front. Because you can kick and scream and you can squirm, you're not getting out of the barber's chair. Why? Because faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. You're not getting out of the barber's chair. You say, well, I'm going to divorce my spouse and I'll show God I'm going to get out of the barber's chair. No, no, you won't. Now, I've seen people try that. It doesn't work. Well, I'm going to send my kids off to boarding school. And I'm going to get, no, I tell you, it won't. I'm going to change churches. It's the people at Elmira that have made my life miserable. I'm going to go to another, no, you can go to another church. And trust me, God's going to put new people in your life that are just as irritating as we are. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's true. Because God is at work. And his faithfulness means he's going to fulfill his plan. The question is, do you want to cooperate or do you want to kick and scream? Either way, God's going to get it done. The very God of peace that says, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me get this point in. So you say, well, how long does this sanctification process last? Year, two, ten, decades? Will it last until the coming of Jesus Christ? Until we see him as he is. And then the Bible says we will be like him. That Christ-like character will be finally and, and completely formed in us. Are you cooperating? God may, in 2024, God may put a financial reversal in your life to get your attention, to show you that you can't depend on your money, and to show you you can depend on him. Are you willing to sit in the barber's chair and cooperate? God may send you, he may craft for you, especially for you, a trial of physical illness, some disease, maybe cancer, and you and I wish it would just go away. I mean, let's just pray, we'll lay hands on you, and it'll be healed. And God says, no, 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 you're going to go through this for the process of sanctification. Are you going to be willing to sit in the barber chair and sit still and wait on the Lord? For some of you, he may choose a particularly irritating person. He may put them just as close to you as he can. And you can fight, and you can scream, and you can pray. And God says, listen, I want you to practice forbearance and forgiveness. I want you to find a way to love this person. That's what I finally came to realize with my terrible roommate. I could either kick and scream and complain, or I could love him. God may give you a limitation, chronic illness, fatigue. He may give you mental limits, just not enough, you see, not enough intelligence. He may give you pain. And he may give you that limitation specifically because he's cutting back here where you can't see. Will you trust him? Will you sit in that chair? God may take a loved one from you. And that's a grief. And my heart hurts for you. I, I know it's a grief. But can you trust God and sit in the barber chair? Because God is faithful. Father, thank you for the reminder that you are faithful to call us and you're faithful to do it. And I'm so grateful that in 2024, we can expect you to work. Not just in big terms. You know, we want to be in the building or we want our church to be a, a better church. We want to reach more people. No, you can, we can expect you to work in Pastor Scott's life. We can expect you to work in individual lives. To craft our circumstances to form Christ-like character. And as you do that, Lord, may we not kick against the pricks. May we not squirm and fight in the barber's seat. 
May we submit humbly, joyfully, so grateful that you're working on us. May I submit to the work you're doing in my life, to the pressures and the problems that you bring my way, to the obstacles and hindrances that seem to frustrate me. May I respond with the grace that you pour out every day, that you're all sufficient grace, and allow you to build Christ-like character in me. And may all of us have a vision for what you're doing in our life to build Christ-like character. And this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.